Our podcast is totally funded by you, the audience. If you'd like to help us with the podcast, just go to our Patreon page and subscribe. Patreon.com forward slash pretender to contender. We get all the episodes in video format, HD video format, and you'll also get a lot more stuff when you subscribe. Go check it out. Patreon.com forward slash pretender to contender. Quiet, please. Please be quiet. Quiet, please. I think in order to be happy, you know, you gotta lie to yourself a little bit. Like, I tell myself I look like sexy George Costanza. Because <laughs> I know I really look like prison Larry David. I'm trying to get in the Todd Glass mood. Yeah. He's in the green room right now, and and I can I I know he can see us, and uh, you know there's just a, a certain vibe that you got to try to get in for a certain guest, you know. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and uh, I was pulling some of his clips today for the show, and uh, it's funny because I'm like, watch Todd. Todd will be like, why did you pull those clips? Why didn't you pull this clip? Mm-hmm. Uh, you never know when you're pulling a comedian's clip if you're pulling his most hated clip, or uh, you know, I told you that story when I met Brian Brian Regan backstage at a show. I, I actually was a fan, and my wife was a fan. And I did something that I rarely do, which is pay to go watch a comedian. (laughs) Right. But we love Brian Regan, and he was playing at a theater near where we live. And uh, we got tickets. And this comic who's no longer with us, the late, great Vic Henley, who was the sweetheart of a guy. Vic, uh, I think, used to open for him. And he's like, well, you know. I could have got you free tickets. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't even want the free tickets. But he was like, "Do you uh, do you want to meet him?" And I was like, I knew his brother. His brother was like a really nice guy. And Brian Regan does have that persona. Even if you never met him, you're like, I'm pretty sure he's gonna be a nice guy. Yeah. So uh, I said, yeah, I'll meet him. So we got put on the list for the the meet and greet, which was after his set, not before his set. And uh, it was so classic because he comes right up to me after he said hi to a bunch of people. And he's like, Joe Matarese. I don't don't do a Brian Regan impression. He's like, "Um, I watched one of your sets on YouTube. Because I saw a comedian was coming to see me tonight. And I was like, well, and he was going to be at the meet and greet. So I was like, well, let me see if there's anything on him on YouTube. And he's like, I, I, I watch your set on Letterman. <laughs> and I go, which Letterman? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he goes, I, I don't know. And I go, oh, no. What, what was I wearing? Was I wearing this like weird, like black looking, half cheap members only looking jacket? with like a little strap right here he's like yeah yeah yeah, that's the set and i go oh yeah that, that was the shitty one you saw the shitty one and now i'm trying to explain to him I'm like i swear i'm funny that was the bad one yeah and and this is to know it wasn't just in my head yeah because 
yeah, you stumbled on a word in your opening joke. <laughs> he said that to me. And I go, yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I did stumble on a word. So hopefully I didn't pull Todd Glass's like version of my first letterman. I picked the things that I think are, to me, the funniest thing about Todd Glass. Now, how much do you know Todd? He's our guest, by the way. Comedian Todd Glass. He's been on every comedy show there is. He's been around as long as me. Uh, even a couple years longer, maybe. But he started when he was like 15 or 16 he in has, Philadelphia. He has a Netflix special. He's, I think he's had two Netflix oh, specials. Okay. Two wow. Netflix specials. And uh, he's just, you know, he, I, I know he tours with with gaffigan a lot i, think. I read his then, book i read his biography you read todd glass's biography? Autobi autobiography i think oh i didn't i didn't even know he had a book is yeah. there some is there any like dark part of his story that i should know about before i mean i retain books very poorly <laughs> so, <laughs> so i'm gonna like say he opened for the wrong soul singer you know like oh i know who you i know who we opened for only because when i posted on uh all my social media today with a youtube link that we were going to have him on like uh one this guy steve young who used to own the comedy works where is the first place i ever did open mic and i don't know maybe he managed todd at one point because he goes in the in the in the facebook chat he wrote uh Asked Todd who his best looking manager was. And, and I knew that was like some sort of inside joke between this guy, Steve Young and Todd. Yeah. Uh, and, and everybody that's in the, the comments and the chat and all that throughout the show, uh, Andrew and I, well, mostly me, I check it like every 15 minutes. So I don't do a terrible job interviewing our guest or being funny or interesting in the podcast. I can't check it every second. So every 15 minutes, I'll kind of skim through it and I'll read, the questions that you're you're posting on there throughout the show feel free uh oh there's one thing that i also forgot i always like to have this little banner scroll at the bottom we'll scroll that there okay All uh right. that has a lot of the info on it why why is it in another language okay i just scrolled the wrong back john jones <laughs> like what is that <laughs> wow some sports updates there we go yeah, <laughs> I'm on a uh, I'm on a podcasting network called Ch the Chop Sports Network, and uh, that was one of their uh, that was one of their feeds. So uh, so before we bring Todd out, uh, so really quickly, you and I want to just you know usually we talk about what happened in our week when we don't have a guest, and then if we have a guest, we just kind of do it really quickly. And um, so you said you did something weird saturday i want to hear about this really quick and maybe yeah. we can connect with our guest me and my buddy carlos and Sh and sean brady uh we decided we were gonna film some uh silly video i guess they always do it on on the street music but i i me and frankie invented this thing where we we start scat singing like skippity beep a doop a bop a leap a doop boop and then we pass it to each other and then when we're on the street we pass it to another person like one of our first dates we were staying in a hotel because it was covid and she has roommates and mm -hmm. on the way down in the elevator 
we were doing the scat singing. We passed it to another person and they started doing it. So we, we filmed ourselves doing that with random people at McCarran Park and uh, a couple who was doing their wedding photos. They joined in and we got some funny video. And And they just so they just do it. They just do it. They're not good at it and they don't do it. Yeah, at the right time for the right length of time. They don't well, know how to count bars, but well, that's still fun. That's a perfect thing to bring up with Todd as our guest because that was some of the stuff that I saw when I was pulling clips that I had seen before and that I knew that was my favorite thing about Todd's comedy is when he he likes to bring... Well, one, I mean, he does a lot of stuff with music in his act and a lot of the musicians are people that he's working with for maybe the first or second time and then he has regulars that are up there in the band and he was telling me how he mentions it on his podcast and he finds musicians they come to his hotel room the night before the gig they run through it really fast and then boom they do it together the next night but but another thing that i and it was always in la that i would see him do it at this place m bar and there's some clips on youtube of him doing it which is just these weird like bits with people from the audience where he would stick them in and the and then the audience doesn't know if this is real or fake and you know from knowing me i've done a few things like that and uh i love watching todd do it because he's so funny at it and uh and it's something you don't see a lot of comics do which is just take really fun chances as comedian as a comedian and bring somebody up from the audience to do something and the crowd doesn't know what's going on. And and I've always wondered why we see more of comedians having fun like that in Los Angeles. And in New York, it's a lot more mainstream. And the, and the comedians that aren't that mainstream with their stand-up, they end up moving to L.A. or they move to Chicago and work in Second City and stuff like that. I'm like, why does New York City have this um reputation as like do your act and like it just frustrates me because i love doing that stuff and when i want to do it in new york and i do it i'm we're finally at a point where you realize i think because the social media really opened it up and showing people doing weird shit and how funny people that aren't even comedians are you see that on social media so in new york like you saw me the night where you give them give the audience a description because basically my description is, is for some weird reason walking up to the stage i did my whole act as as if i was from ireland <laughs> you remember yeah. you were there that night yeah right? you're it was british first of all and the irish people would take <laughs> offense to that i and thought i was irish you thought you were Irish. you really thought you were irish, irish. <laughs> yes. wow that... and you you remember why i did it um i mean I don't know exactly why you did it. You just seemed like you weren't, you didn't know what you wanted to do that night. You didn't want to rehash old jokes and tell them the exact same way. And uh, I think you were just out of frustration, maybe out of like not being inspired by what you normally do. You took a risk. (laughs) Well, that's interesting that you describe it that way, because I thought you would have realized it. Maybe I didn't explain it to you. We had this really... What was that guy's name who was the host? Oh, Chase DeRusso. Chase DeRusso 
is one of the funniest hosts I've seen in New York because he does it in a weird way, which is he lets the audience bring up the comedians and he'll write out the intros sometimes and make a person out of the audience do it. And I'm like, that just makes it more interesting right away because there's a chance of a fuck up. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're sitting there watching going, oh, my God, someone from the crowd mm -hmm. has to do a full intro on somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, so he came up to me and he goes, what do you want me to say about you when I introduce you? And I go. I go, I used to give a shit. And lately I don't. I'm like. Make something up or say. I'm the most famous comedian, you know. Oh, yeah, I remember now. So he like improved and went with it and stood on the chair and introduced me like I was Chris Rock showing up to do a guest spot. And he had everybody standing up and giving me a standing ovation before I even walked on. And he just goes, this guy's the, the way he said this guy's the most famous comedian. I I know. Give it up for Joe Matarese. So that's what made me go into a British comedian because that was my opening line. If you remember, I go, uh, you didn't tell him I'm famous in, a, in, in another right, fucking right, right. country. Right. right? I like, see, I'm I in a, another fucking country. I'm fucking huge. You don't know me. Oh, you know, yeah. and I just went into my, and then I did my act and it just made it more fun. And I'm sure that's got to be a huge reason why Todd likes to add all these little flares into a standup because it keeps it fun every time. And if anyone's ever hung around Todd, he likes to have fun. Like that's just a, he's always, he just comes across to me like a guy is always having a good time. Uh, so I, 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 I don't really even have time to give my thing about my little week. I mean, just in a nutshell, know everybody. And it'll come up during the interview sometime. So I just did my show, the Remember When One Man Show. It was the first time I did it with no openers at all. One man show style at City Winery in Philadelphia. And it was so good. It was so good. Everyone, it was like, I, I've been telling you this, Andrew. I'm finally at a point where everyone in the audience is the, it, it's almost like I'm a, I'm a big draw, even though I'm not. And maybe it's because the show is just so about being about the 80s and the description says it that everyone in the audience is like either 40 from 45 to like 70. There's no really young people there. They're totally on board right away. And uh, the only thing really missing and, I, and I'm struggling with this is getting a get it to have a really huge fan base it's like this small little nook like no matter how great your idea is in comedy you gotta have you gotta be able to sell it out you know what i mean mm -hmm. um so i sold pretty good in philly but and this is something talking helped me with too is you can all you can't play philly every three weeks and keep selling it out you run out and then it's like you got to go to fucking you got to go to scranton you know and be able to sell a lot of tickets and it's like how do you branch that out or how do you some people would say just don't even worry about it just be funny and i'm like dude i'm 30 years in the business i, I gotta worry about it i got a wife and two kids i gotta worry about it i need this to make this much amount of money so I, I kind of want to talk to him about that, but he's been sitting in the green room long enough. I, I don't know if he's smoking pot in there, what he was doing. I saw something, saw something come up, almost hoping he's high. 
Uh, so uh, I, I won't even give him a music introduction. Let's just bring him in and uh, and just and just go from the hip. All right, there he is, everybody. <laughs> How are you, Todd? How you doing? I knew you'd have dark lighting. Well, you I saw dark. you lower your lights when you saw mine were lower. I mean, I want you to be able to see me. Um, but is that can you see? You can see me, right? Or should I brighten yeah. it a little? Now I feel stupid. Now I want my lights. Well, I do mine like this. Your lights <laughs> good. You know, there's so much to talk about right away. Wait, you didn't introduce us. No, he didn't. I'm Andrew. Uh, Andrew, okay. We did talk Andrew. about you before the show. Um, hold on one second. Uh, there's so much to talk about. And right, oh, but go ahead. I'm not going to lead the interview, so go ahead. But I want to write this down. <laughs> I'm, so, I smoke pot. I'm you did or didn't? Food. I'm in a great mood. Hello, Andrew. Nice to meet you through Zoom. Nice to meet you too. Andrew's a big pot guy. He's a very um, how will we describe Andrew to Todd before we even get into conversations here? Todd's like, or uh, Andrew's the opposite of me. Like I'm kind of the mainstream guy, whereas Andrew is just first of all, he's living a crazy lifestyle. He's in a he's engaged to a, a woman, and they have this open relationship, and like. All kind of shits, kind of crazy going on. It's like the opposite of me, Joe. Joe, yeah, I have to, I have to interrupt. I think what you're trying to do. Oh, by the way, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't have the headphones in. Is that okay? Yeah, you sound good. Okay. I think you're trying to deflect from the passive aggressive nature that you treated him, that the audience might not have seen when you commented on his hair. He couldn't really say anything because then you would go, oh, I'm joking, I'm joking. Very passive-aggressive behavior. If this is the way you treat Andrew, I would imagine he's probably frustrated a lot. <laughs> On occasion, yeah, for sure. On occasion, but I, he always tells me how he wants to like make his... He, his hair messy and that he auditions for all these parts where they you almost got a part in something recently where you were psyched about it because it said mess guy with messy hair in the description yeah True. weird though is you can be weird eclectic cool but like he goes but that's not bad you know it's right. like no weird i think it's cool. great bad can't be cool I'm, you can't go i'm going for being myself right in a, in a in an untethered not untethered but like not trying too hard to fit into societies how i should be i'm right. a, so that's all i wanted to say i was half kidding you know when you smoke pot and as you're in the middle of a bit you start to realize it might be uh, louder than it is funny you know <laughs> hi joe <laughs> i'm here hello good to see you good to see you well thanks for doing the podcast by the way did now, did you, um, it looked like, did, did you write down like a note for yourself when you were listening to something we said at the top? I did. I did. I'm curious. Uh, what was I it? wrote Andrew down, but then I think uh, we, we already did it. Because <laughs> I wanted to, there was something else I wanted to, uh, but, but I don't know why I thought that. Needs. So anyway, that was it. But very observant of you, Joe, that I wrote something down. Yeah, I saw that. Even though it was, you were like shadowed in the green room. So, so yeah, a lot of the people from your past were writing stuff on my uh, Facebook page. You had uh, got to look good. Ken, people will Ken, judge. I got to make sure I sit up and look <laughs> like, oh, Ty Glass. Come on. Look at it. Look at him. Thank you. 
<laughs> well, they all know your idiosyncrasies, a, a bunch of them, like no. Steve Young. Steve, what did he mean when Steve Young said it was I your best looking manager? Did he manage you? Yes, he did for, for a little while. I didn't who else did he manage? I didn't know this. You know, there was a lot of comedians, if if not like uh over a long period uh at time and some others short but but helping a lot of comedians and then uh I mean for me he managed me for for a while and uh um but you were you were saying about uh I always say this because I think it's like a big part of you know comedy in Philadelphia, like you can look they they book like a lot and there were a lot of great comedians, you know. There oh, was yeah, so there was. many like list goes on and on and there was definitely a Oh shit. Todd. Just as he was sucking the dick of Philadelphia. There you go. <laughs> you know what? Fuck Philadelphia. <laughs> Fuck Philadelphia. And I'm and I'm gonna can you see me okay? Yeah. So uh, you so you started comedy though when you were like fifteen or sixteen, right? Yes, at the at the comedy works in Philadelphia. So how did how did it turn into Steve Young managing you? Did, did he was it really early on? He he saw something. Nobody cares. I feel like Regis Feldman talking to you. Nobody <laughs> cares. I you know what I try to do? I think about when someone asks me a question before I answer it. And believe me, most of the time I don't do what I'm about to do, and I go, "Does anybody give a shit?" Now, sometimes the answer is yes. Other times, mm, you know. Well, I'm only asking. Well, the reason I was going to ask would, and I don't want to slam Steve Young because I don't know him. I, I, he was almost out of the picture by the time I started doing the comedy works in Philly. So I, I, I never saw him that much when I went there. It was yeah, he had good. already moved to L.A. and was, uh, he had already moved right. to L.A. Maybe by that time he still owned the comedy works, but he lived in L.A. Yeah. Well, the um, thing I like the most about your comedy, and I'm wondering now. Here, now it, we're talking. Yeah. Now we can have a conversation about something. You know, uh, hey Todd, when you used to go to the comedy works, did you take the blue route or did you cross over the Wissahickon? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, now, go ahead. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. What you like about my comedy? Well. I because it's like you always wonder like when it when it turned into that and like if some if you ever had a manager that was telling you to do the opposite and then it, it you know and then it makes you separate that's the you only reason what? i was asking about steve young because to me what yeah. i like the most about you and it's hard to like put into words because you don't want to accidentally you never know what's going to insult a comedian when you're talking about what you like the most and what is you his comedy style is and you have this it's almost like you're making fun of the art of stand-up but you do it in a really funny way it's like you talk outside of oh did i just do one like you you have this it's like you're you're, try, you're you know narrating what, yourself i'm trying to do that less you are now, not that i don't mind doing it at all sometimes it's fun and it helps you be in the moment it helps me not be nervous Whatever mm. I think they might think, I say it. It's really a nervous habit that you can make funny. But, like, I know these people over here are going, this isn't stand-up comedy. What's the band for? But, like, that's shit in my head. So I try to constantly, uh, you know, do that. But I always say, don't do it. And then I end up doing it, like, three seconds after I get on stage. Literally backstage, I go, I'll literally say to myself, do your jokes. Do whatever jokes you want. But you don't have to sub-reference or go, oh, that and stuff. Just do your fucking jokes. And then uh, two minutes later, really? I'm eating cookies out of my pants. <laughs> wow. So, now, I, well, I hope this isn't just my opinion then, because I don't want to mess you up. 
But I always say to people, you got to go see Todd live when he doesn't give a fuck because that's when he's just going off the cuff like crazy. And I, I always it. give a fuck. I always give a fuck. Always. But you're. But what you don't realize is, is you're, you're like, for instance, where I say you're making fun of the art of stand up in a funny way. I remember once seeing you on TV. You, I think it was the Late Late Show. You actually plugged the guy who was like painting your mom's house. And it was I builder. knew it was real. It wasn't for, fake. Farino Builders. Farino Builders. They were, she was buying a home in a new development. And I thought maybe if I gave them a plug on TV, they'd be nicer to my mom. And they were nicer to her. Nice. It's almost like like why you like the Larry Sanders show is they were showing you behind the curtain of what it's like to be a talk show host. And I feel like when I watch you do stand-up, you're kind of showing the audience what, what a comedian is, the way you narrate it. It's funny. No one does that. That, so to me, that's everybody does their jokes, but nobody goes on there on television and promotes their mom's oh. welder. You know what I mean? I, know. You, time, you, I think you said I'm trying to get a deal from my mom. I did. I did. One time when my old manager, no, 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 my current manager um, saw me uh, with getting my Kimmel, my Jimmy Kimmel, uh, you know, a set ready. He's like, what are those things on the right-hand side? I go, oh, you don't need to know. He goes, he goes no, what are they? I go, well, if, if, if I'm doing well, they're, I want, they're plugs I want to give. <laughs> but I'm not stupid. I know you can't go out and be having a bad set, and then you drop in a plug for, you know, your exterminator or whatever. But um, if you're killing and you can just all of a sudden go, Farino Builders, they're trying to get my mom a good deal in her house. Leave it in in the editing department. They'll, they'll <laughs> leave it in a lot. On that, that show, they did a lot. They let me. They. It's always so nice when I look back on that. I'm like, that was so sweet that they let me, like, you know, give these but, plugs out. Well, I don't think you realize, but that when you say I, I talk, tell myself to just do the jokes, those are jokes, too. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I kind of get where you're coming from because I, I struggle. I mean, I'm only nine years in. I'm not a veteran like you guys, but uh, I. I struggle with the getting bored of my material and feeling like the only interesting thing is to create, create in the moment. Like sometimes that's the way I feel. And then other times I want to create this like almost like trance like experience, uh, which I feel like you can only do consistently when you have great material that you can lock into and have the audience lock into. But like, how do you find the balance between those two, Todd? I know. I, I, uh, if I think I know what you're saying, at least it's up. And I don't, well, you know, it's funny. Whenever I talk about stand-up, which I really like talking about stand-up, uh, I'm always paranoid, like, that, uh, that um, you know, they'll be like, you know, make fun of me. For I always picture somebody going, all right, don't take yourself so seriously. But um, with that said, uh, I, that is a balance that I always... Because sometimes I'm not stupid. I critic. I think, oh, don't do it so much. And then there are times when I go, well, I think at this point you figured out who you are. Like, just do what you want to do. You know? So, But I always think it'll be some big release. Like, if I try not doing it, I'll go, wow, it's so much better. <laughs> yeah. It's I like... so much better on stage. Like, you know, if I just do my jokes, like, but it's that shit in between that's getting in the way. 
Mm. Well, did that was that was that happening very early on? Because you you you've mentioned like ADD and that you're dyslexic. Like that could be a mechanism that comes from that. And and how I always tell young people, I go, stop trying to get rid of your negative qualities. Sometimes you can embrace them, and that's what makes you really interesting and unique. Is like, would you get sidetracked? Is that and then you would just talk about other stuff? Well, you know, the best thing I did, at least for me, and I can't see going back. I ended uh, on one getting ready for a special. I I got a binder, you know, just an old fashioned black binder, and I printed it out like they're just bullet points it's not like they're they're jokes written out it's just the bullet points and every night i do it a little, and i have it in there if i want to add something i just print it out it's nice clean it looks like big black fat sharpie but it's just a font and the notes are clean and i can go in and write notes and then once i did it that way even on the special i just i just flip the pages i do that live now and that really helps me have some beaten path even if I go off of it. So I can't even imagine doing a show right now. 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, yes. But doing an hour without the binder would be like just annoying. That's interesting because that's how I'm feeling now with this Remember When thing. It has, I think it has 35 pictures in the show. And I don't know my show. <laughs> it's just i go give me the next picture and then i do 10 <laughs> minutes on that picture give me the next picture and then i do 10 minutes on that it's literally like well, and, and it's it makes me so much more comfortable on stage to know yeah. i don't have to memorize it right of course and then then you so you want you want to look forward to it and if there's a part about it that stresses you out then you're going to always uh, regret doing it that, that's a good point. What you just said you want to look forward to it right. if you're trying to memorize it you can't look forward to it Hmm. Me, it was editing. Somebody once said, like in the old when we first started the podcast, I always go, "I will edit it out." We'll edit it out. Go, you know what? That's what I hate about the show: having to listen to it the next day and go back. One or two things look, no big deal. But we used to have like twenty edits in a show. You know, now some most shows zero, zero really? edits, and I don't have to the next day listen to it. So now the podcast is just purely positive, getting to do it and releasing it. So there's no part I have to go. Oh, I have to edit anyway. Who cares? So how do you cram a guest in if you have this free-formed... Do you do an interview mixed through it all? On my podcast? Yeah, on your podcast. Oh, it's like... It's a, it's a very swanky atmosphere. And um, I have somebody doing drops. I have a, a, a drummer. Now, through the pandemic, we didn't have a lot of instruments. But I usually have, like, a little band. Like a trumpet, mm -hmm. drums, keyboards. So when the guest comes in, they it plays them in. And it's like a funky... I, I could probably spin the camera around i'm in the studio now but oh, you're in the. do you still do it in that car that car studio? it's an old it was an old it was probably a carriage house at one point that's why we call it the barn and then it was just like the garages in the back but oh, when i did your podcast years ago it was in like a ferrari dealership <laughs> yeah in a, in a in a loft ahead of it a friend of a friend yeah. let me use that space that was fun too todd if you awesome. If you need musical accompaniment, I got a harmonica. <laughs> wow. I don't know if I'm ready. Oh, I guess I could do a little bit. He's got echo. <laughs> so, anyway. That's what Todd also reminds me of is, did you ever hear that guy? I forget his name. He used to call into Howard Stern all the time, and he does all the impressions, and he would have a keyboard and echo on his voice, and Howard would have him on like every every, every other day. 
he'd have reverb on his phone calls and he was so funny well wow. i don't that remember that? sour sour sa- without sour someone on the on the on the feed will know his name sour 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 but- patch Sour Patch Kids. It was, and he, he does an unbelievable Artie Lang impression. That's all I remember. Sour something. All right. Um, l- 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 let me show a clip of kind of like if there's anybody watching right now that might go, I don't know what Joe's talking about because maybe I haven't seen it. So see, th- these are just like a couple of things that like I just love. And it, is it and, from and the I'm, M bar? I have yeah, I pulled something from the M bar. What we're about what, to see, what we're about to see, is that from the M bar? Yeah, but it's from a long time ago. Does M bar still exist in LA? I don't know if it does, but that you know, you you had mentioned before somebody like you know that was definitely a point in my career where I knew that I had sort of figured something out and what I wanted to do on stage. I have like great affection for that specific scene. It was part, and then and you know and Largo. And also the UCB went on to do the same thing, you know, for me. Just a very explorative, really was real having fun on stage. But the M bar especially, there's some, I mean, there were some unbelievable shows there. And the crowds were, you know, it's like, because it's like, you just say great crowds. It's really vampid to some people. Great crowd is different. But to me, great crowd, they were like all those alternative scenes. They're so fucking attentive. They were just there to watch the show. And uh, it was fun. So that was, uh, that's from there. And so that was, but on the road, I did a completely different thing. Like that That's what I was going to say. That, 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 so then at some point, you must have had to figure out how, that you really like doing that style. How do I do this everywhere? Yeah, I'd have moments of it on the road if it was a great, great crowd. But mostly I would just have these generic things I would go to. And just to do well on the road. And I did do well on the road. But, you know, sometimes in spite of my, you know, what's my best interest, you know. And uh, I mean, even when when you were a really new comic in Philly, when you were just living in L.A. and you would come back. I remember you once coming back to Philadelphia and doing the open mic and just being like the drop in guy that moved to L.A. And you did a Don Rickles bit and and you became Rickles and you what was funny about it is the cord and you never see a comedian doing this, but the mic cord was so long that you could walk. You were like climbing over tables and walking through the whole audience. Wow. I don't remember remember that. No, you used to do Don Rickles and you would do or you would rip on everybody in the crowd. Rickles style. Maybe it was the guy that does an insult act, but he can't get around the audience creatively. I sort of (laughs) remember something like he's walking around the crowd, but Rickles did it with finesse. This guy's like, Bumping, yeah, climbing on chairs. I think I do remember. Yeah. So you did have that in you. So it was like, yeah. So it re- so here, real quick. So I always had fun there. Week after week after week. Always really look forward to performing there. And I do music. A lot of music drops. And they were cool about playing them. And then one time, somebody was asking my manager about me. And he goes, no, there's two Todds. And, and Alex goes, do you have any footage from the M-Bar? And I found out that Scott Ackerman... They had filmed every show. Now, it was just the one camera, you know, usually one mounted camera. So they gave me all the footage. And Alex thought it was worth it, hired an editor, literally put money into it. He goes, we're going to glue this together. But it's got to be someone that knows what they're doing. And that guy did it. And he he really did a great job. And I was like, I'm glad we have that. Because that, anything from the M-Bar represented me just really having a good time and, and growing as a performer. Uh, and it was fun. 
Right, and that was like an every week thing, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. You got the you got a spot every every week when they did it. You always got. To oh be no, on no, not at all, not at oh, all. All right, not at all. Oh, so you had to you had to put put something together and wait for your spot every month or two. That's how we had Luna Lounge in New York City. That yeah. was our M bar. It was, a- but yeah, you'd be there once every three months, and you'd write something that you wanted to do that was more like unique and outside the box of being a stand-up and, and you'd end up loving it and then you're like i can't do this anywhere this sucks right but- i figured out how to do it pretty much now on the road like my podcast has very heavily influenced my road show pretty much now you know i figure out how to do most things on the road i can i just know i have to be a little tighter i noticed like guys that were in the past maybe really different really different but that doesn't mean they couldn't have a tight act so, yeah, it might be different, but it was tight. And I would think uh, Kevin Meany fall under that category. It was different, but it was so goddamn polished that right. you could see someone eventually coming on board because he knew what the fuck he was doing, navigating the silly ship. And when I first saw Gilbert Godfrey, the same thing. That was a well-orchestrated. It was different. It was weird. It was, so what the fuck? But it was boom, 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 boom. So I thought, yeah. well, why don't you steal from that a little and tighten your fucking act up. And that, well, that's, that's that's exactly what Andrew's going through because he's trying to be like out there, but he's trying to learn how to kill, how to dis- really rip a room because he can like make like the comedian friends laugh, but it's like how do you make the regular people? Yeah, you be go on totally the road. On board. You go on the road. You know. Yeah, it's hard to do that profitably though at my stage, or not even profitably break even even. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I want to show the clip real quick. Oh, okay. Uh, And as I titled it, it just says Todd doing act outs. (laughs) Here we go. Here's a quick clip of Todd at M-Bar that uh, I love. Time liars. First of all, there's something we have in Los Angeles called time liars. They lie about the time and they fucking know it. They live somewhere, they go, it takes 20 minutes to get there. 20 minutes. They're like, 20 minutes, 20, 25. I already got you up five. You fucking live in a bad area, okay? Don't if it like oh I live moved up to Magic Mountain, you get up there in twenty minutes. No, you fucking can't. You fucking wake up and what are you living in your own walk? No, you fucking can't. You know a month after you lived there, you said this blows. But now you go out to all your friends and you go, Oh, it's great, twenty minutes. It's not fucking twenty minutes away. It's not twenty minutes away in a helicopter at three in the morning, so fucking stop it. Like he knows everybody in a place, but if you really try to introduce yourself to him, he doesn't give a shit. He just likes walking around like he knows him. Try to introduce him. Hey, look who's here to let anybody in here. Hey, all right there, big guy. How you doing? Huh? Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> you don't give a fuck what your name is. <laughs> look who's here. They let anybody in this joint. <laughs> hey, muscles over here. What are you doing? Hey, good kid. Huh? <laughs> yeah, get that. It's all right. <laughs> That is like a perfect example. What I've tried to Guys, help 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 Andrew with a little comedically because I, I sometimes I, he sh- I could not hear it. You oh, couldn't you hear it? it. I couldn't hear it. What was the bit? Uh, but I'll remember it. It was the well. It was the time, time liars. liars, and then oh, yeah. time 
And then how, you know, when you make the audience yell angrier and then you do the angrier version of the bit. There's well, you that. Know, I do that still sometimes on the road with the band. I go, folks, I'll be honest. A lot of the bits involve, like, I usually do the ones where I yell at them. Once you see we are all silly, we all get along. But tell you the truth, the angry it gets, it scares crowds. Do you want to see it angry? Because I'll do it for you, but it's most crap. And then they always go angry. And then when I do it, <laughs> I can't be scared because they... So I get to do the bit the way I want it. It just takes a little manipulation. Interesting. That's right. Cool. And then the, the second bit was, I think it was Jimmy Dore on stage where you were you were setting it up by saying, these are the guys that don't give a shit that you're there and they're saying hi to everybody else. Oh, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> so, no, Go they're ahead. just like cool guys. You know, I think, what's up? Yeah, so what what I've tried to give advice to Andrew before in the past, and everybody should know my podcast is called Pretender to Contender, so we are trying to give advice how you get to be a contender in a certain field and when you start out as a fucking pretender, you're a joke, and Andrew's not a pretender, but he's a lot newer at it, and I still feel like a pretender because everybody who's a comedian wants to be Bill Burr or Sebastian Maniscalco. Like, that's what we want to be. How do we get there? So, um, and when we have a comedian on, that's what we talk about a lot. But the um, Andrew struggles, and I've, I've given you this note. I said, it can be really weird, but it has to resonate as like a Seinfeld joke at the same time. So, like, your joke about how these guys are too cool, they're saying hi to everybody, but they're blowing off this one guy. Like, you do it in this weird Andy Kaufman style, but it's a premise that everybody can relate with. So it, we're, you, you can't go so weird that no one can relate to what the fuck you're talking about. Don't you agree? Do you know what I'm saying? You no, know, I don't know. And again, I love to talk about stand-up, but I always like be real careful the advice I give. Maybe... I mean, there'd be exceptions for that, I'm sure. You know, I always, it just has to be real fucking funny, obviously. But right. I, don't, I don't think, because when you have a, if you put that in someone's head, sorry to totally, um, you know, uh, you know, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm like, not, I'm not disagreeing with you. We're going to get into a fist fight. Um, this is a good one that somebody just said. Hey, when I showed I that talking. I had a joke. When I say, oh, shit, I hope I don't come off. Why don't you interrupt me and say, oh, no, no, that's what we're doing. We're talking about comedy. Instead, you let me lay there. <laughs> that's because I'm working the, the the people that are writing oh. in. Because I thought it was funny that this guy just said, how can you possibly do comedy for 25 years and get six viewers on a podcast? <laughs> Way to make hey, sad, hey. Joe. Hey, I, thanks for letting everybody know. There's up to 10 right here. <laughs> listen you know when people ask me one time i did a show and they go sorry there was only like 14 people i go i've hung out with one person and had a good time so i'm 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 still okay with it i am too me too that, that's what they don't realize that we, we i'm having a good time but I, i'm trying to think back to your point like if there is a comedian that's done something really weird that's unrelatable to i mean andy kaufman is uh you know, like but you the, know what Andy Kaufman reminds me of. Godfrey, I, the act I saw him do was not. I wouldn't say relatable. If anything, the, it's so avant-garde. And but the jokes are relatable. That's mixed with the avant-gardeness. What's relatable? Relatable. Like I could think of like some of my favorite Gilbert Godfrey jokes, where he, when he keeps saying the punchline, right. 
when he i remember him having a joke where he was like how did what did he say how did something about the fawns and chachi and he right, just kept right, right. what was the joke it was something like chachi. It was nice yeah, winkler sure yeah winkler sure but chachi something like that and he would just keep saying it and i'm like but he is saying something that everybody knows so it's like he's not like like even andy what andy kaufman reminds me of when he would even like play the record and lip sync to it like a weirdo mm -hmm. who hasn't fucking sat alone in their bedroom with the door shut that wanted to be a comedian and performed to nothing that's what it reminded me of I, they I, connected i think i have an answer to that and i think you'll agree i think that might creatively stifle somebody as opposed to it has to be relatable but if to say it has to be real then people are trying to think Sometimes what comedians say is not. It's it's no one ever thought it before, so they say it, and people are like, it just has to resonate with people. I think that leaves a wider interpretation. Yeah. And well, that's that, that's what I mean. Maybe I'm not saying. But it that's right. a no shit. That's like no shit. Like, of course they have to laugh, which ultimately they have to. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, Andrew, give him an example. Like I remember one of your jokes did really well on social media, and I said, even though it's odd. Everybody has had that thought. What was it? I remember one of them recently. It was some. Oh, I don't know. I have it was no like idea. one of your biggest ones on social media. Oh, um, I think uh, there was a thing that I said, like, uh, when I die, I want to have my ashes made into a Brita filter, you know, so I could protect my loved ones. Uh, for a couple months after I die, and then poorly for another couple of years after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that was one. And then you had another one where you were like having sex with a plant, and I was like, the audience can't relate to you having sex with the plant because of the. Yo, like, I got with, interrupt. But come up with a premise that makes it make makes them relate a little bit. If somebody, to, what's, go ahead. For what it's worth, why do I care? <laughs> Why do I care? Why do I? Why don't I? Oh, you, you know, no, I think because I care about comedy, and if even if I'm like I said, I hang out in my backyard, talk about comedy with five people. I think that's one type of comedy. So it, it, of course you can point out jokes where that's the formula because it is a formula sometimes, and if, and of course, but and it doesn't have to be not that. But I think if you think that it's only that, it inhibits. It's probably I have a feeling some of the probably quirkier, funnier stand-ups you go that wouldn't apply to that. You know, right. unless you just keep moving the mileposts to say, well, no, I just mean they have to like it. Well, yeah, of course. But that's not where we started. We started with they have to be able to relate with it. But I don't I yeah. think that if I wasn't high, I could figure out mathematically if that's true or not. But I, well, all I want you to do is name one comedian that's really out there. That's not really relatable to like someone like, like, say my dad, not my dad. That's a bad. Those things he said, nobody ever thought of that. But they, they're, they're so like, oh yeah, logic. There was logic to There's them. There's logic. Were, yeah. I want to say what, because you know what I How connected about Gilbert with. Godfrey? Nostradamus predicted that uh, that all these jokes. But there was logic. He was he was like proving a point with the joke. Like there's a part of it that makes sense. Don like, Rickles yeah. once said to somebody, "Look at you. You sit there like a bucket of beluga." Now that was very funny. Where's the logic? 
What is Beluka? That depends. Dude, Does everyone... It didn't even matter. Look at this guy sits there. Senator, I Ma need a bucket of Beluka. Maybe well, everyone except for us three knows what Beluka is. There's a lot of logic to why it's funny to just make fun of people right to their face. There's That's a logical thing. You're making fun of somebody right to his face, and it's so it's so bold to do it, and that's why it's funny. Like you can you can explain why it's funny. There's jokes like to me, like I, I don't know if I can even Sam Kennedy. Like I can think of the the most outrageous comedians, but what they're saying it has logic. You know what it reminds me of? Like the sitcoms that I don't like, that I don't laugh at all watching. Are the ones that have a that are too exaggerated? Like they seem so exaggerated that there's no truth behind anything that that's going on. And the shows like Seinfeld, he's he's making such a funny observation about real shit that everybody goes through. And I think there needs to be a little piece of that in all comedy. Like his was all about this is what people do and it's about nothing. And that's why it's funny, but you need a, I think you, I mean, need I agree. Brain. I don't disagree. Um, I think there is a time like when the audience can tell, like for a while I was only making up my act. Like for six months, I was just like, I hate my material. I'm just going to go up there cold or with like a very loose premise. Like friendship is important or something like that. And then I would make a story and like half the time it would bomb. But like the, when it worked, it was amazing. Like it felt so good. And the audience could tell I was making it up on the spot. So if things didn't quite line up logically, at least there was a logic in the context. I, I got a great clip that I want to show a Todd now that I but, think. But let me, if, if it, this is an absurd example, but because whatever, I like talking about comedy. So I'll take it a little further. I really, when I leave this conversation, I think it's a good thing to answer whether having it to be logical will help comedy. Even if it's a small percentage, I'm pretty sure we could think of things that weren't, like, logical. It just wasn't logical. I, of course, I can't think of any now because I've been smoking, but I have a feeling I keep thinking of them and then I forget them. But things that have no logic at all, like, there's probably a big percentage of that in stand-up comedy. And it's still funny, but I, I'll think of one and I'll write it. <laughs> well, it's not a good sign for your uh, cause if it's hard yeah. to think of. <laughs> it actually is. I think ultimately I have a good point up here, even though I can't well, get it out of here yet. I'm, I'm thinking of Sean Patton's bit where he's acting out a homeless guy uh, talking to himself like a different. There are different types of homeless guys. And he's like the storyteller. And then he does like, I'm talking down. But that's got logic. That's different. Different homeless people are that way. Yeah, that's making up a fake story, which is fine too. I mean, there's that's done really well. But I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about when you're doing something so absurd in the moment, like you know, like Rory Scoville will just sit and and eat a chocolate chip cookie, you know, and go yum, 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 yum. And, it's, and the people are laughing. It's not necessarily stand-up. And the next bit he might do might be more traditional stand-up. He literally is doing just a very digestible, funny, well-scripted piece of stand-up. And then he'll do this other absurd thing. There's no logic sometimes in those things in between. You know, but I used to sing, Hey There Girl, that song by Tony Orlando and Dawn, dancing around like there's nobody home, just out of nowhere. And the crowd was entertained, you know, so it's that's not. I mean, I mean, I guess I would argue that the only logic 
there is that he's setting that atmosphere up of things not making sense, things being random, um, things being improvised, and within that, he's he's uh, completing that equation. Yeah, and we might just be talking about the same thing, just you know, just talking. Uh, yeah, well, the, uh, another another way that it can be logical and not logical, and Rory Scovel comes to mind to me, whereas like he had that bit that was online that all the comedians were talking about for a while that, and they did it on Conan when they came out simultaneously, like, like that's something that could never happen in a million years. But at the same time, there was logic of, well, what if it happened? This is what would happen. And they're making fun of a what if situation. There's a little, there's still a little bit of logic in it, and that, and the way they went with it was so creative that it yeah, becomes funny. so funny. Was, it, was Brody a good example of of that? Yeah, I think so. Because uh, yeah, I think there's some sort of relatability. Because it's like, I don't know, him being as quirky and oddball as he was. Isn't it easier though to just leave it open to if it gets a big laugh? That way right. someone doesn't feel because then when you have a conversation of logic, people all have a different interpretation of it. But if right. somebody said, Hey, what's it take to, you know, you just say, Well, if it gets a big laugh, no one's gonna argue with you. That's you, true. I have I have jokes sometimes, or not even jokes, but like the first couple times I'll say something. It'll be funny, and then never again. I can never summon the energy that it came out with. Does well, that ever happen to you, Todd? Do you do you have you found a way to recreate that, or is it just like that was it? That's gone. I let it go because I mean I, I remember seeing other comedians when they would try to fake like spontaneity, and it always and then when I did it, it always looked horrible. When I watched it a year later, I'm like, oh, you know. Is that what you're talking yeah. about, sort of faking spontaneity or something? Not even faking spontaneity, but, like, being that good of an actor that you can, like, look at the tape, be like, oh, I was feeling this then. Can I summon that feeling again? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I try to just, if, I, if I'm in the mood to do it, I'll do it. It usually works its way out of my act just because I must have got tired of doing it. And then other jokes I'll do for like six years, you know, and others will be in there for a year. And then so it depends. I just when I get bored of them, they sort of slowly fall out. Yeah. Well, the one video clip I want to show in it and it's you in that heckler heckler moment. Um, By the way, this is not a heckler. This is a plan in the audience, right? No, no. This is the real this is the real one that you, uh, you oh, gave us a disclaimer one. on. Well, what I, this is where I think logic comes in. The way you handled someone being obnoxious in the audience and brought so much logic. I have a feeling you're a lot like me. It's like you take the audience away. Our our smooth our our brain doesn't work as quickly. But with you with the audience there, we're so quick to bring so much logic into her behavior oh. that it was so genius. She was that. You know, the most evolved way I could explain a woman like her is just sad. And it really made me angry. It really did. And it, and it was just, I could also go, it's sad. Because I know that I had a friend that lived in that little town. And it's funny when someone can usually go on in their story. She didn't know that was going to end up on the internet back then. And that was a long time ago. 
Um, so she went and told a, almost a completely different story. That was the word that I had heard. He goes, yeah, she's telling people this. Meanwhile, they're saying, no, you see the video? She's, you know, runs up on the stage. He runs off the stage. So she didn't get to tell this um, fake story in this little city. And you know what? It was probably embarrassing. Even if it's between you and 20 people, it's embarrassing to tell your story and then go, that's not what happened, you know? So um, I want to take the video down, actually, because I feel it. <laughs> there it is. So I pulled the video that you hate that you don't want up anymore. No, you I don't. Just... No, no, no. I'm not embarrassed the way I handle myself. I would rather not deal with it at all. But I didn't. I, I did stay within the parameters of not yelling derogatory things to her. I dealt with what was. So I was sort of proud of the way I handled it. But it still puts a kick in the show. Even you recover, you got to work very hard. You certainly can't play after that happens. Like I had to go back to my act and just do the fucking hits. At least that's how I felt. You're right. You're right. That's funny because I, yeah, I only have one heckler clip up and I used to have like three or four years and years ago. And then I was like, I'm only leaving the one up that was the, I'm kind of proud of the way I handled it situation. I don't just, the, the, my way to handle it on the road is I don't handle it. The club is so strict. You know, if you ask them nicely and you don't engage with the crowd and your opener doesn't at all, they, I, mine is like, I don't deal with it at all. Everyone just is there to see the show. Zero, like it's a goddamn play, you know? Right. Uh, well, well let's show the clip and, you know. Oh, oh so wanna... real quick, real quick. So I talked about, you know, you have to, I felt like I got, I needed to get them back on my side after I yelled. For what it's worth, I think it'll make that moment. You'll know exactly how it felt. There was a point at the end where a second woman goes, do your act. And I wanted to fucking say, I know exactly what I wanted to say. I wanted oh, to go, no. you shut the fuck up too. Even though she was saying, go back to your act. And I pivoted because I wasn't in the mood for her shit either. Like to tell me what I should do. Go back to your act. No, I'm enjoying this. But I pivoted and I probably probably made the better choice, I would guess. So, all right, go ahead. Oh, I didn't even realize that. All right, well, uh, I, and I don't think, Andrew, you've never seen this, right? No. All right, so I'm, I'm interesting to hear your take on it, too. How many people would like me to tell you a little story about something that happened just before I walked on the stage? And at, at any point during this story, if I tell it different, I want the person to do two things. One, okay, I know, man, take a deep breath. If I tell the story wrong, I want you to interrupt. But on your family, I want you to just let me talk now. That proves that even your friends are putting your hand over your mouth, okay? If I tell the story wrong, on your health. If there's a point when I tell it wrong, or I tone down what I said, I want you to interrupt me. I don't know a politer way to tell a customer, sometimes when they're talking, other than shh. But let me finish. I am aware over the years that some people do feel that's a little disrespectful. But I don't know a better way. I don't think a customer, because they're talking loud, deserves to be cursed at. I don't think a customer that's talking loud deserves to be. I think a shush is like a play with Keep it down. Many times when you tell a customer to shh, about 95% of the time they turn and go, oh my God, I'm sorry. And then you almost feel bad for reprimanding because they're so cool about it. That's what happens 95, if not 99% of the time. Shh. And they go, oh my God, I'm sorry. You're like, okay, you know, just want to let you know. And I told that woman to shush. She gave me the finger and said, who the fuck are you? But because I wasn't at all, because I wasn't a waiter here that has to kiss your fucking ass, I came it right back to you. Is that the way you treat people and you think you can get away with it? And notice you didn't interrupt me because that's like, you can't, don't kiss me. Sit down, you fucking whore. I, I, what I just witnessed is that that was 
the waiter or waitress that had to, no, you don't get to do it here. You don't get to fuck it out your way. No, no, this isn't. said shut up and you were shut up or use the F word, then you would have been right. But you know the truth is I went shh and you gave me the finger. They're your true colors. You enjoying this people, this is just letting this woman see what it's all about. Now you don't get to talk. You get to fucking leave. And don't ever treat a waitress or a waiter or anybody in the service industry like that again when you can get away with it. You didn't get away with it tonight. I, that put me in like a anxiety state. I'm like, oh man, I I hate drunk audiences. It put me in anxiety. That's so funny you say that because I'm I'm listening and I'm going, and and on the surface, I I'm I'm proud. Of course, I didn't do anything. Okay, you can see I didn't handle it horribly. I didn't say any. But I think when I'm sitting here and I can't even hear it, I'm just going by memory. There's also it's like it's just. It's not fun to hear it. It's like you might agree with me in the audience, but it doesn't mean it's as bad as as good as laughing, you know. And you know, I did. I could have not done it, you know. So yeah. well, but, I think uh, th th I think this will make you feel better. I think why it's it's such a good clip to keep out there is it's such a great learning tool for a comedian to watch it because of the way. And what's so good about it is the way you said. You stood up for the wait staff and the bartenders. And then that like it and, and I've said this to you before about how I used to ask for the sound and the lighting to be a certain way. And I was jealous of you because you knew how to ask in a way that they weren't mad at you. You did that with you handled a heckler in a way that you made the staff so like like you even more they were like he's just stood he just stood up for us what comedian ever does that it showed how nice of a person you were well i'll take that so thank you and uh all right i'll leave it up you should well i mean if a comedian can watch that if you ever get heckled don't don't be mad don't go what the fuck this club like uh, that stuff i used to do early on i'd be like you can't get rid of this guy i'd be mad at the club yeah. no now i have like you know what? First of all, the good news is, and I always remind myself all the time, which is really great. And that's how you know that watching a show properly and doing the right thing in an audience is obtainable because most people overwhelmingly get it. They're great audiences. They know they go in when there's trouble. In a, let's say at a good comedy club, not a bad comedy club, but a good one. A trouble would mean that maybe there's like at a good club, maybe there's three groups of two or you know what i mean some there's but they got they're right on them they're right on them they're right on them um hold on hold on um i forget what i was gonna say <laughs> he's so me he's me it's like he's got my fucking brain uh, 
I don't know. But a way I, funnier one. I'm trying to think of like hecklers I've had and how I've dealt with them. Um, I can't really remember the last time I dealt with a terrible. I do remember I was at Yonkers Comedy Club one time and, and a whole table in the corner was was talking and I just snapped and I just said, shut the fuck up. And they kind of did. And the show went on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just simple. Shut the fuck up. Well, that one you could tell it was one bad member, and it seemed like everybody else was a good audience member, and they were like on your side. They weren't like against you. So no, no, no. But it no. does. It does. It's not as much fun if I can ignore that stuff, and it's not as much fun as laughing. Even though I didn't handle sure. it first, and you could, and you could attach that, you know, that I sort of that the staff appreciated it. But but there's you know many reasons. But um, it's not as I. I mean, just as I perform longer, I. I Someone once said it one night. We were hanging out around my fire pit, and I'm just talking about when I get angry on stage, even when I have the whole crowd on my side. Yeah, they're on their side. I think it might have been Gary Goldman, but he goes, it's not. He, instead of trying to make me feel good, he made me feel like, oh, maybe I'm right. Like, there's a better way to do it, even though your old way wasn't atrocious. And he goes, but it's not as much fun as laughing. And I was like, oh, you can't deny that. You're like, yeah. Even, you know, so I'm like, try to not yell at it. Try to deal with it behind the scenes have the door staff have code words you know with the with the door staff and that means i want that you know please you got to quiet that table up but better way to well, do it. i think it's hard for certain comedians and the reason i would think it would be hard for you to just never do it is why you're so funny is because you do make those comments in the moment of things that just pop into your brain and it's how you feel and when you're having fun you bring up these things that are popping into your brain that are funny, but if someone's being obnoxious, it, that pops up into your brain that this person's being obnoxious and this isn't the correct way to behave and you have to narrate it. Right. You can't not. And you know, I thought of a clean thought. If if your whole thing, and that's fine, is narrating an audience, you know, not a total chaos audience, but you know, we're one of those clubs where they let them do it and if the comedian doesn't mind, they deal with it. If, that, if you can deal with that chaos, because maybe that's just all you're doing is just or you have this organized chaos in the audience and you get good at it. And some comedians are better than others. But my so not even criticizing it, although, believe me, I, I could. Um, but uh, not even at this moment criticizing it because I've seen it done well. I, it doesn't work for me. I need the audience so calm and so I mean, in a good mood and silly, I already have chaos in my head. If I got the chaos, I'm trying to manipulate it into an act. It's all chaos. So I don't, if you're chaotic, well, what the fuck's going on? Right. So that's why I need, when you went to see Don Rickles or any of the good comedians that do crowd work, it's not like there's chaos in the audience. They, they might do crowd work, but their audience knows, yeah, that means we, that doesn't mean we yell out from all corners of the room. Right. Know? Todd, I want to, I want to know, like, because I've, I've heard you on like Burt Kreischer's podcast before and talk about like clubs, setting them up right and what your ideal club is. Uh, I'd love to hear like what your if you could make a club from scratch, what it would be like, because in my mind, the perfect when I imagine a club, it doesn't exist. But the perfect club is kind of like a womb, you know, like the walls are are soft, almost velvet. The ceilings velvet. It's round. It is like a, it is like a womb, basically, but upholstered. Well, you're not, you know. I, I always say the same thing. I love talking about this, but I think what's a cleaner angle for me? Cause I feel, always feel paranoid that I've talked about this. Like, but, um, I have a, I like talking about it again because I have a cleaner way to say it. And you 
sort of matched exactly what I agree with. And it came from when I was on the road opening up for Jim Gaffigan, we would go to these speakeasies, like whatever, ever city and his road manager would find like the coolest speakeasies. And they were always really nice and the lighting was low. And I loved that every time we went into one, I never got tired of it. Jim would go sarcastically. So this isn't the way an audience should be waiting to see a show. Cause the answer is yes. You know? So that's the way it would be more like a New York jazz club, dark, cool, special, black tablecloths, not white, you know, just real. And you could do that pretty cheap. Ambiance is actually pretty cheap. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, that's enough. That It's like, you know, how I would run it, Who, you know, that's not the cool part. But that, it paints a picture. That's sort of the gist of it's very swanky. I also, I also like it to feel cut off from anything noisy. Right. Double curtains as you go in, all that stuff, you know, yeah. it feels. Yeah. There's, it I get best. so mad when I, like, there was some, con I, I couldn't not. There was a comedian, he he was booking a club and he posted a show, uh, uh, I, I don't know if it was him or another comedian was on and he posted it and he was like all proud of it. <laughs> and, and I didn't do it in a mean way. And he ended up appreciating it. We were going back and forth. I go, I go, dude, there's full music playing underneath the comedian from another room through that whole set. Loud. I go, I, I, I go, it's making me uncomfortable when I watch it. I go, can you, I don't, I can never, whatever you got to do, if you got to do comedy in that place again, I go, tell them to shut that music off or you're not going to do the show. Like, what the, f it's, I can't stand it. And it happens so often in so many. My thing is, is I think a comedy club should look like what it does when you watch a comedian on Netflix do a special. I mean, not it doesn't need to look like a theater, but I'm like, look at the stage the way it looks and make yours look like that. Why can't why do bands look good and comedians look like shit? Like make us look good, too. I don't know. It's not yeah, that no, like backdrop, especially with social media. You know, I think I talked a few a, one specific club in the changing their backdrop because you can sell your opinion. That's my favorite. My friend Steve, he still says it. you got to sell your opinion. And, you know, it looks at it, it. Maybe you have a cityscape and when you're in the club, it looks awesome, but they're going to be on one tight spot. So just go with something you can go with. The, you know, there's there's a few ways to go. A few clubs do it pretty cool. I mean, the brick got famous for a reason, you know, not, not that <laughs> yeah. I would. I would understand a club wouldn't want to do brick, but um, stone, you know, there's there's cool backdrops at clubs. They get it. Don't get in the way of the comic. It, it looks better on film. It looks, you know, what's because now everyone chops up their sets, you know. Yeah, definitely. Which is cool. I've, I've got to see some new comedians that I might not have gotten to see because they religiously chop up their stuff on TikTok. And then you get, I get to see like, oh, this is a funny person. And after you see their clips over and over, you're like, oh fuck, this guy's funny, you know. So that's sort of, been, I liked it for that. I like it for that reason. Joe, you you mentioned wanting to do maybe like an improv game or something. Yeah, but um, I keep getting texts from my uh, <laughs> my wife has COVID. By the way, she oh, just shit. found that, she just oh, found gross. out today. Come on, oh, God. <laughs> that's disgusting. Why she didn't just, you wear? A condom joe she found out today and uh like like four people in our family not my not my my kids don't have it but my wife's two sisters have it and their husband has it and one of their kids has it 
Everybody's so got it right like, now. But so she's texting me that I have to go. She ordered food at the supermarket, and like they give you like a. It's like, it's like the electric company called. She's like, you got to go between eight and nine. I'm like, isn't the supermarket open at like eleven? Enjoy it. <laughs> I got to go get the food before they close or my wife's going to kill me. And because she has COVID, I have to be, I have to be extra nice. I mean, um, was there, uh, I do want to end on something though. I mean, I don't want to just end the podcast. I could sing a song. <laughs> what do you got? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't. You do. I know you do. <laughs> I wish I could sing. I would be a good opportunity. Dude, I've watched you sing so many things on your uh, social media. You don't care if you're a good singer or not. You just like to hear yourself sing. I knew I'd trick you into saying it. You love Tom Jones, right? It has to be bred out of, you know, you're silly in the mood, the music's on, but like now, right. like, I went, I never went up at like a karaoke place. I was always too scared to go up. Never, ever went up at a karaoke place. Never? Never. Wow, but you sing karaoke at like your parties at your house, though. Uh, yeah, it's and so you know now you just pull it up on your iPad. But yeah, basically, yeah. Well, yeah, Todd, yeah. if you ever come to New York, you, me, and Joe, we're going out to karaoke. <laughs> I'd be embarrassed to do it in front of people. Really? Yeah. You you can go to those Korean places where they you just rent a room. That's true. That's true. Todd, uh, actually, let's end on this because he once gave me the, and I tell so many people this now as one of Todd's great ideas, how to have a great party. This is like one of those Toddisms. He goes, you don't need to get a whole live band. He goes, just have music playing on your iPod or your iPad or your iPhone and hire a drummer. Yeah. He goes, just let them drum to the, to the, to the music. You put the speaker behind them. You know, I saw this somewhere else. I saw it was like a little review show at a comedy club in their smaller room. And the music was, I mean, it could still be great pre-recorded music. And they had a live drummer and he was out there in a black suit and looked like, you know, and he had to look real slick and he had the blue spotlight on him. And I'm like, wait, that's the only, it just brought such a presence into the room. I go, I'm going to do that at a party. And then it sounds like you have a band because it's all, it's all about the bass. Do you know a drummer, Andrew? Because I want to have a big party this Fourth of July with all comedians in my in my backyard. Do you know yeah. any drummers? Yeah, I know some drummers. Yeah, we got to do that. So it doesn't backfire because I care about the things I say. That when someone goes to do it, it'll backfire. I thought of one thing: you can't just have like a Bose, even if it's one speaker. You play music in your house and it's fucking loud. No, it's got to be like more like two big box speakers behind the drummer. So okay. he can play along. He'll play along to anything, but it's got to be behind him and like his monitors, and then it's got to be loud. So there you go. Okay, it's got to be like those p good powered speakers, the big yeah. ones. Okay, they don't have to be expensive, but you know what? It's an you know just a, it's got to have some oh. kick. And what's that other thing you do where you get you like scoop ice cream into cookies and put them in between? Oh no, pop tarts, pop tarts. Is it, it's pop tarts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna do. I'm stealing all your ideas. Pop good. pop tarts with ice cream in the middle. Well, I realized that you don't have a lot of time putting ice cream on a warm pop tart, so I would take uh, ice cream sandwiches and just flick all the chocolate off of them, and then have like a plate of those in the freezer, so they could go over to the toaster, put their pop tart in, then walk over and just put two ice cream sandwich squares on it and eat it right away. So it's warm. It's it's everything. It like explodes in your mouth. 
No, I'm getting that. I'm doing that. <laughs> That's going to be at the party, too. We're stealing that. Well, Todd, thanks for doing another uh, Pretender Contender podcast. Uh, I got to run before well, the supermarket I've- won't let me in. And uh, Andrew, uh, Andrew, you know. Nice meeting you. Nice meeting you, too, Todd. And uh, all the plugs really fast uh i'll be at the emo emus theater in pennsylvania emus p pennsylvania on may 7th doing my one-man show remember when uh todd what do you want to plug the todd glass show is his podcast go check it out and what do you got uh 10 year old tom on hbo max i play the principal on a show called 10 year old toms just got picked up for a second season boom congrats congrats thank you and then my netflix special act happy and my talk my podcast talk last show on wherever you get podcasts thank you that was go get your food get your food all right see you guys bye